the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Stuart. We're both property people running our own businesses. This podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. One of the other property podcasts I listen to fairly regularly is the Property Podcast with with the two Robs on. And I've come across a couple of instances recently where I think they've been reading our minds or reading my mind. Because a few weeks ago, maybe even a month or two ago now, we talked about my experimentation with cryptocurrency investment. And then a week or two later, the Robs were talking about cryptocurrencies and potentially investing in them. And now in the last week, I have finally, after meaning to do this probably for years, got around to registering for the land registry fraud alerts. And then the Robs were talking about it on their podcast. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what's going on here, but but I, I'm starting to worry. <laughs> but outside that, I thought we'd start talking about the, the land registry fraud alerts. How, have you registered for these, Stuart? Do you know, I, I haven't. But the one thing I would like to add to that is that I, I agree. I think the Robs are listening. And if you're listening, Rob, we, we both Robs, we welcome you to the show. And uh, we, we'd love to have a, a property podcast mashup one day. But because we were talking about, I think it was cladding, cladding issues. And the next podcast I heard of theirs was, was basically saying similar things to us in, in their inimitable, detailed way, which was great, by the way. And I thought, oh, I wonder if they've listened to our show and that's, or a researcher has listened to our show. But um, back to the, to the tasking hand. Yes, HM Land Registry fraud alerts. So logging properties so that if anything happens or if anyone tries to put anything against that property, such as a loan, the HM Land Registry sends you a, an email, a stroke alert. Yeah, I, th- I think that's how it works. Uh, uh, yeah, basically, as you said, if the the property record that is held by the land registry if it changes then does send you an alert for it and changes certainly include a lender being added or removed from that record that they hold but also sales and things like that as well it's a really straightforward process to register you you go to the, the appropriate site there'll be a link in in the show notes at the business but it's a, a government site run by the, the land registry within in the government uh, you create a, a profile, very simple, name, email address, a few other bits and bobs. And then you add each property that you want to be alerted about. I believe you can only add 10 per profile, but then you can make extra profiles. And they, they'll they just email you if anything changes. Interestingly, there's no check on whether these are your properties that you're monitoring or not. It's just any property that you're you're interested in uh, it could be obviously the ones i've i filled in for me are just the ones i i do own but, uh, but yeah you could you could watch other properties as well if you if you are so inclined I, I think it is sadly a very interesting thing to do but it's funny i, I noticed that one thing as well that says you know you do not have to own the property to set up the alert which I, admittedly i thought was a bit strange but actually from a planning perspective if you're thinking about properties for whatever reason it's actually quite useful i I was thinking about it from my personal view is that a number of properties i've got banks have very specific um rights over those properties in terms of the loan agreements not loan agreements obviously the mortgages but there are specific agreements that i'm not going to get into on those and actually when 
when you return those funds, I should write letters to the specific banks because they don't, when you've signed the specific agreements, those agreements can stay in place. So for me personally, that is that is one of the interesting aspects is to know, you know who's holding which rights over that property. So it is something I will do. When you said 10, I was like, oh, I'm not sure that's enough for me. Now I've split, a, split the freehold, uh, which is a nice position to be in. But like you say, we can just set up a separate profile. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you might need a separate email address to create a separate profile. But, but yeah, you can certainly make extra profiles. And I mean, they're sold as, as fraud alerts because obviously there's there, there have been cases and there are ongoing cases where people are creating fraudulent mortgages on properties or even fraudulently selling properties. And of course, this is a way of, of being aware of, of something like that happening. But you can, of course, at any time, and particularly perhaps for your scenario, Stuart, where you're wanting to check what the banks have, have got recorded against your, your title deeds, um, you can, of course, buy the current title deed from the land registry at any point. I, th- I think they're £3? Yeah. Quick note on that, because we, we've recently done podcasts about uh, rent to rent. And something I I do just in terms of making sure we're doing things properly is, that, of course, I speak to most homeowners and ask them if they own the property. And I want to see evidence of that. Sometimes, if I'm not as confident as I should be on first call, it's exactly what I do. It's three quid. I think it's well spent just to know that who you're talking with is the right person. So, uh, yeah, so that is something uh, that I, I, I actually use, a service I do use. Yeah, it's a good good validation. I've also seen agents use this in other ways. So when I've had properties advertised to for rent and things, I've suddenly had letters turn up addressed to me as the, the owner and landlord of Property X. And, of course, the way the letting agents are doing this is spending that three pounds to get the the details from the land registry which include my my name and address and uh, and then they they send me a letter saying we noticed you're renting a property have have you considered our wonderful services and did you know we could get you extra rent and etc cetera, etc cetera. so so yes it's um it's a very useful service but uh but yeah other people are using it too <laughs> yes uh, and it is is a good way of providing uh a database for that very reason and you, you did also mention in your intro crypto and this is something you shared with us before and back at that time i don't think it was going so well simon yeah so my my crypto adventure has um well it could have gone better when, when we last spoke about it episode 79 just for for the audience's reference excellent we'll make sure we include a link <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when we last spoke about it, I think I'd put in £500, which I'd then invested in an assortment of different cryptocurrencies, and then watched it decrease in, in value. And a little while after that, it continued to decrease. And I thought, oh, this decreased so much. This should really be a, a good time to, to invest in, in cryptocurrencies with more. And of course, one of the things I didn't do upfront was spread out my buys. Uh, so there's a, a term, do- dollar cost averaging, which I don't fully understand. But I think the, the basic principle is that you you put money in gradually over time so that you're not always buying at a single fixed price. You're mm. buying at multiple prices over time. So hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll spread risk. So, so I thought, okay, the market's continued to fall. I know I'll 
put in another £500 and I will spread out buys over a period of time, buying a little bit of a cryptocurrency each time. And that has now now happened. So I've now put in a grand total of £1,000 of real money into cryptocurrency. And having checked this morning, I can tell you that my £1,000 has been magically turned into £638. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing, but just so everyone else knows, my head is in my hands. I'm not, I'm not laughing at Simon. No, you're, you're laughing with me. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, this, this was an experiment, and I, I went into it with my eyes open, knowing that it could all go horribly wrong. And it hasn't gone totally horribly wrong, but it's not really, really not gone well. <laughs> the, um, the crypto market has continued to fall generally. I mean, there's been some ups as well as the, the general downs. But even after my extra purchases, it's continued to fall. So, so yeah, the my original money has lost lots of value and my more recent money has also lost value. And, uh, and yes, I, I'm now left with quite a lot less than I started with. But in the long term, I, I, I still think there's there's value in cryptocurrency. So. Well, that, that's the second part of what I was going to say. The first part of what I was going to just say was that the important part for me was that you, these thousand pounds, you were quite happy to to lose. Um, I'm, I'm not sure happy is the right word. <laughs> no, you're not happy, but you you were cognizant of the fact that uh, what's the standard caveat that uh, that, that, that uh, the, the values could could rise and fall. So, uh, of course, the expectation was that this would quadruple over. No, no, um, <laughs> no. But and I think that is the important thing: is that none of us go into wanting to lose money, whether we're investing in a property or crypto or you know stocks and shares. From my perspective, but I think I always accept that because because I had the similar thing in in uh, shares actually, where I can't remember the exact figures, but let's say, say for every pound I put in for a certain period of time, it was worth ninety three p. But the second part is that you've just mentioned long term, which I think is really, really important because we talk about that all the time in property. But and that's why I was thinking when you were talking about it, I was thinking well, well, to actually really see the, the the benefit or not of this, it's it's going to take more time, isn't it? And so, what's your intention in terms of time? How long are you willing to to, to watch this um, this money either shrink or hopefully wait to to grow? Well, I am now at my experimentation limit so I, i'm not going to put any more money into crypto until it is uh, until i have at least got back to where i started so i, I can't imagine that's going to happen terribly quickly the the markets are still very volatile and i think mostly downish so so yeah it's, it's, it's going to be a, a while and in terms of will i then immediately withdraw it when it gets back to its original value, no, I will leave it there for some amount of time. And I don't quite know what that will be or quite what my decision points will be for for deciding to extract any or indeed put more in. Uh, it's really, it really is an experiment. And I'm just going to see what happens and decide as the process unfolds in front of me. So no hard and fast plans around that. But long term well i'm happy i'm for one i'm happy to watch this experiment with your money 
<laughs> thank you thank you i'm i'm hoping that uh yes hopefully it will go better <laughs> i i hope so but i think i think uh, yeah i i think it's just time isn't it we, we, we will see over time and and yeah God willing, we will see some increases. I'd, I'd like, I'd like to be able to talk about you, you seeing some positive benefits to this experiment. Yes, so would I. <laughs> but speaking of time, time is running out for one of your tenants, I believe. You're, you're looking at, at the end of a, a notice period. Yes. So, do you want to give us a quick recap? Yeah, I'm going to make it really quick. One bed flat that we've rented we've owned for five or so years selling it it's in personal names we just my view is actually we, we wanted some capital out of it but i'm quite keen just to lose the properties in our personal names to be honest they haven't grown significantly but this particular property has had a tenant in it for that length of time sadly the tenant has had some challenges with work and so on and so forth and I feel we've been very patient and although gave her lots of notification that we were going to sell the property there was there was no indication that, that she was going to start looking um for alternative premises so and and you know I've spoken to the tenant face to face and talked about all of this and although it was not something I wanted to do we had to serve notice on the property which we did at the start of this year so that notice finished on 27th of july so we've now reached the formal stage and uh, i've been in conversations with the tenant and said look i have a buyer that, that understandably wants to know when they can complete on the property and they've been very very patient because i think we agreed the sale a good few months ago now let's say let's say march for for the sake of argument but it was at least four months and the tenant's saying, well, I found somewhere to live, uh, but the person, that, the person that's moving out of where I'm moving to is buying a property. And my riposte to that, of course, was, well, if they're buying a property, someone needs to give them a date of when they're moving in. That is usually a completion date. And trying to be supportive as well, knowing that the, the tenant has been through some challenges, I said, look, if you're not comfortable with these conversations, I can have them for, I'm more than happy to speak with someone on your behalf just to say what is what is the situation because sadly this particular tenant i think you know isn't comfortable having these sorts of conversations because she she feels that they're confrontational whereas you know we all know that they're just informative but given that i'm not getting any more information i now have to follow the formal process so the next step will be i think writing to the court to to make that motion the sad thing is of course, I would imagine by the time the wheels are in motion, the tenant may well have, have moved on. However, I can't, I can't sit on my hands any longer. And I've said that to the tenant, look, I don't want to do this, but I've, I've got to do it because I think the tenant has had, as of this recording, something like eight to 10 months notice, which regardless of what's gone on in the in the wider world i feel is very fair and i've also offered my support in finding alternative accommodation and i know it's it's not ideal however this is the nature of renting is you know i've been in this situation as a tenant myself so it's i I do feel for the tenant i genuinely do but then also as the owner i I kind of at the stage where i would just like to get my property back so that we can we can sell it and, and do what we need to do yeah, exactly. And because of 
the the COVID times we are in, you've had to give six months notice on this Section 21 notice, which is the the, the no fault eviction process, and it's that I mean that's that's a really long time. Normally the process would be two months, but it's when you gave notice it was six months. Currently it's four months, mm. and if you don't actually then progress things to the courts and and take that next step the section 21 notice actually expires so you can't you can't give notice and let it run for for four months as it would currently and then wait another six months and then say oh actually now we really are going to go to go to court because you you clearly haven't decided to actually move out as you keep claiming you're going to whatever because the notice expires you, you can't take it to court so so you, you you're kind of you kind of have to keep the process moving mm. so in doing that, are you going to do it yourself, or have you got a? Is your letting agent willing to help start start that process, or are you going to employ one of the uh, companies that, that exist to to specifically help in this area? The truth is, I haven't made a decision on that. My original conversations were with the agent, and the agent li- lives around the corner from the property. In fact, it was one of the reasons I selected them. Which another story, but I wouldn't advise that as a selection criteria. <laughs> but um, because they are so close, they have been able to, when we needed just to post letters, official letters, et cetera, print, print it off, walk two minutes up the road, put it through the front door, which, which in these scenarios is helpful. But I, I need to research it. I will have a bit of time. Because the tenant has said that, that the things are in place to move, I kind of loathe to, to, to go full on in terms of thinking about bailiffs and getting the keys back. But again, being completely honest, I'm not writing it. I'm not. I'm not taking that off the table because I now need the property back. Yeah, it'll take quite a while before you get to the bailiff's point, anyway. And of course, once you start the court process, you have to pay for that as well. It, it's not not free. Yeah, and this is the other thing. You know, that we haven't had all of the rent. Uh, some of which we've we've I've written off in my head. And I, and I don't know how you feel about this, Simon. It's, it's, it's really strange, isn't it? Because as a tenant myself, having recently been a tenant, and, and here's a, you know, the, there probably is another episode for us on actually experiences I've had as a tenant, actually. But my experience as a tenant is I've made a commitment, just the same as if it were a mortgage, that, you know, this is, it's, in terms of expenditure, it's number one on the list, isn't it? Is that roof over our head, whether yeah, that's definitely. mortgage or rent. And I always feel, I guess, morally, ethically, whatever it is, but I feel like you know, that is my duty. And I remember at the start of COVID, I sent an email to my landlord and said, look, I'm not sure where this is going to pan out for me at the moment, but this is kind of just a – it was my way of putting a shot across the bow is just to say, I'm not sure, because our, our rent was pretty expensive. We had a nice house, but it was very expensive. But the, the, the email that came back was very short, very curt. This is the rent. And this is what you're expected to pay. And I thought that's not very, it's not, it's not showing much empathy. However, I have to accept that that is the case. And my view was that even if I'd missed a month or hadn't been able to fully pay a month, my view would be that at some stage I'm going to have to bridge that gap uh, or recompense. I actually have a few properties and maybe I'm just too soft or too weak, but I have a couple of properties where tenants have a pay, haven't paid. And in my head, I've written off that cost. If on this one, we have a deposit, it's a small one, but we have a deposit. So 
at least I'll get to keep that. But it feels like to me that sometimes there, there are attempts that there, where there is the expectation that actually, yeah, I, I won't have to pay that. And, and in this scenario, the, the cost of recouping the lost revenues, and I haven't looked into it, but my experience with solicitors tells me that I'm going to end up spending more than I'll ever get back. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, this isn't my own story, but I uh, heard from, from another local landlord that they had a, a tenant in an HMO who recently, well, they, they weren't paying rent, and, but they did decide to leave of their own accord and they left the keys. So they, they surrendered the room and told them that they'd surrendered the room. But they left owing rent and they took a whole heap of stuff from the property down, down to things like cutlery. And, and I, I can't remember exactly what else it was, but perhaps things like curtains and light fittings and, and sort of odd things that you wouldn't have thought would be readily reusable. I mean, that is forking unbelievable, isn't it? It, it is. I might bleep that out anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a fork. It's a fork. Um, uh, but, but yeah, and uh, the, their point was, or the point that someone came back to them with, was that that is just outright theft. And as is the really sort of not paying the rent. And in, in any other world or, or any other sort of area of life, if you go and steal a bunch of cutlery and lights from people, it's, it's clearly obviously theft. But because you've done it from your landlord and, and you already owe them a heap of rent and things, it seems to be semi-accepted that the landlord won't really do anything about it and will just write it off as, as one of those expenses of, of running properties. But uh, it's, I think it's a very strange situation we've, we've got ourselves into where, where landlords feel that way. But trying to follow it up through the courts or anything, it's, as you say, expensive and time-consuming and takes a lot of effort. So it's probably just not worth it for some cutlery. Yeah, which, which, shouldn't, which shouldn't be the approach. I think the, the challenge for us as property investors, but more so as landlords, is, of course, the, the connotations that the, the word landlord brings to some people. You know, some people might feel the same about landlords as they do about bankers. I don't know. But, of course, we know that we are providing a, a valuable service and we're, pro- we're providing homes. And some people wouldn't have those homes if they couldn't rent. So uh, and we know the private rented sector is really important to, 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 to people, of course, but to, to the economy. But when things like this happen, they go, oh, it's, it's only a landlord and, you know, they're, they, 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 you know it, doesn't, it doesn't warrant being concerned about. And, you know, maybe that's part of it, but... You know, as landlords, I think we, we probably also just learn to to move on quickly because our time is worth more than than having to chase down people because they've stolen, you know, our knives and forks. Yep, exactly. It's a strange world we live in, but yes, I think that is is the way we we have to end up looking at it. And let's just finish off. We've, we're over time, but let's finish off with a slightly happier update about your your HMO, which is. It's still progressing. The sale hasn't fallen through. It's still going, despite having to wait for a stupid amount of time for, for local searches. Your, your buyer is keen. And it's all good, yes? Yes, yes, they are making all of the right no- noises. And like you say, we're waiting for the 
searches to complete at the end of September, even though we agreed, we got the memorandum of sale on this property. Again, I can't remember now, but uh, it's been at least since April. So what I'm discussing with my solicitor, because they are keen, but I'm now, as we've said before, caught between this rock and a hard place where, okay, I've got, I'm going to have to wait almost two months for this to happen. But what happens if if all of a sudden things change and they don't decide to sell it, I've lost two months. However, I can't put it back on it. Well, I could put it back on the market, but we know I've got to remarket it, get viewings again, and that will take three months, and then we'll have to go through it again. So the just the, the thing that worth of note that I am considering, because I've done this myself as a buyer, is just doing a, a, an, an exchange now. You know, it could be a, we could call it a de- delayed completion where we, we essentially exchange the contract so it's legally binding and having discussed it with my solicitor, what, what they can do to protect themselves is have indemnity insurance for the searches. But given I bought this property only four years ago, I'm, I'm you know confident that's all okay anyway. So that is just something we're working through and I'll update on that when that happens just to let people know because um, I, I think they're investors so it's something they should be cognizant of and, and they are adamant that they want to f- go through this purchase and for me this is just a way of probably testing that yeah i think it's a good plan and i hadn't thought of or realized that you could exchange before the searches come back but of course with insurance products available you can or they can insure themselves against that risk which is which i think is a, a, an excellent option and as you say helps helps cement their intention and reassure everyone involved really not not just you yeah one of my biggest learnings in property is that most things are possible, but not everybody knows about them. And I remember my final thing, but with the, you know, I did a, a keys undertaking, delayed completion. And I remember when I first spoke with my solicitor about it and she said, oh, I'm not sure we can do that. And because I was working with someone that had done these things before, as in a property developer, I said, oh, well, you definitely can because of X, Y and Z. And I even dictated the amount of money that we would exchange. So it, it, rather than it being the, the 10% deposit, we just agreed a figure. So I spoke with the homeowner and said, look, just to show you my commitment, I'll put in 5K, we'll exchange, but let me do the works and everything else, and then we'll complete. And my solicitor at the time was like, oh, well, I'm not sure you can decide the figure. And And again, I said, well, based on... It was my experience, but my learned experience, I suppose, my experience, we can. And, it, and, you know, a day later, she came back to me and said, oh, yeah, that's all fine. We can do that. And, you know, that was a big breakthrough for me to realize that just because a professional says it's not possible doesn't always mean, you know, of course, there's legal, there's legal frameworks that we've got to work within. But just because someone says no might, might just mean that they don't know as opposed to it not being possible. So that's a, a big learning. I think that's an excellent place to finish. Anything's possible. You've just got to work out how to do it. <laughs> so with that in mind, thank you very much for listening. Please let somebody else know how much you've been enjoying the Business of Property podcast. And you can find show notes and links to helpful things we've talked about at thebusinessofproperty.com. Stuart and I will talk to you again next week. Bye.